You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life? That's, uh, that's what we're going to begin doing this morning. And I am uh, really glad that you've uh, joined us for this interesting topic. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet in person, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here of Midtown Church, and we just are really glad that you're here with us. We want you to know that uh, as a church family, we really aim to be, desire to be a, a, a people where it's safe to ask questions, where, uh, to explore faith, to voice doubts, and we want to be a place, too, that helps you uh, connect with God and know his love and be filled with uh, hope. And uh, I think that this sermon series that we are beginning this morning may cause a lot of us, maybe all of us, to ask some questions. But my hope is, is that it will also uh, fill us with some hope. And uh, that's something I think we could all use right now, right, in the middle of a pandemic, we could use some hope. Because, you know, one of the things that will uh, make a worldwide pandemic even all the more hard is if you believe that this is the only life that there is. Like, if you think this is the only life you get, and you have to spend even just a season of that life trapped indoors, stuck indoors, uh, missing out on graduations, and missing out on weddings, and missing out on dinner parties, or vacations, like, Man, that is just the worst. Like if this is all there is and you have to spend any of it not getting to do the stuff that you want to do with your one life, then man, that just makes it even harder. Not to mention just how much sadder, just how tragic it is for those whose lives are cut short by sickness or death. If this is all there is, then this is even harder to uh, make it through. But what if? What if this isn't all there is? What if there really is life after this life? What if there's an afterlife? Then could that possibly bring us some hope? Well, I think it can. But, of course, a hope that's really nothing more than wishful thinking isn't all that helpful. And so today, we are going to begin this series with the question, is there any evidence for life after death. You know, like, is there any real reason to believe that this life is not all there is, that there is an afterlife? Now, if you believe uh, the Bible is reliable and trustworthy, then there's plenty of evidence that uh, says that this life is not all there is. Of course, Jesus' death and resurrection serves as the ultimate proof of that for people who are Christ followers. In fact, it's his resurrection that gives us reason to believe that he, what he said to his good friend Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25, gives us a reason to believe that what he said is actually true. When he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. There it is. But... I know that some of you don't put much stock in the Bible. And so uh, you wouldn't count the Bible as strong evidence uh, for proof that there's life 
after this death. And that's, that's fair. I understand that. So the question for you is, is different. It's the question is other than the Bible, is there any evidence that life continues after death? And friends, <laughs> there are, uh, there's a growing belief that there is evidence and it's really intriguing. It's weird, but I think that it's worth considering. For you see, as a result of advances in modern medicine, more and more people are dying, like, you know, heart stops beating, brainwaves cease, and then for a period of time, sometimes for a minute, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for a lot longer than that, they uh, are dead, but then they're resuscitated. And after, and often, when they regain consciousness, they claim that they have experienced life while they were clinically dead. Now, this phenomenon is known as a near-death experience or an NDE. And I know that for many of us, it sounds extremely far-fetched. Man, I really get that. But I want, I want to give you just a chance to listen to uh, one of these uh, experiences, one of the, someone who makes this claim himself. So listen to Dean's story here. When I went to the hospital, they gave me antibiotics, but it didn't work on me. And I became what you call septic and everything in my body started shutting down. Once I realized I was dying, this peace and this joy and this comfort came all over me. I knew I was leaving my body. I went through the floors in the hospital, coming out into the atmosphere and it was a blue sky. And I remember leaving the earth and seeing the solar system. I remember traveling really fast. There was a light before me, it looked like a window. When I came into that realm, all I could think of was everything is right, nothing's wrong. It seemed like everything there was glad I was there. The trees were glad I was there, the flowers were glad I was there, the water was glad I was there. Some people say it was peaceful. I like to say it was past peace. I think the reason for that is there's nothing to be peaceful from because I was in a realm that had nothing going wrong with it. I remember going up to the trees and then the trees just started opening up for me. And there was a pathway that was laid before me. And so I started moving in that direction. It's almost like I was gliding, like uh, on a people mover that you have in the airport or something like that. And as I went through the forest, it seemed like everything in the forest was saying to me, he's going to see the king. And when I got on the other side of the forest, that's when I saw Jesus Christ. He was real bright, brighter than any light I've ever seen, even the sun. And I remember looking into his eyes, thinking, he loves me so much. By the time I'm thinking of him loving me, it's old news because he even loves me more. And then he looked at me again and he said, no, it's not your time. Go back. And I didn't want to leave. But I felt like he was saying, I need you there more than I need you here. And I remember how sad I felt. I felt like a newborn baby crying as I was leaving. And I remember coming in through the blackness again, back through the universe. I came through the hospital. I remember hovering over my body for a moment, seeing everybody move around in the hospital. And, and then I settled in to my body. They said I was clinically dead, which means your heart and your lungs are not operating. So in the sense of a skeptic, I always tell them, you may say I didn't go to heaven. But you can't say I didn't die because it didn't have any brain wave at that time. They can say I didn't go to heaven, but I died for an hour and 45 minutes. I went somewhere. Okay, that's an unbelievable story. And uh, if you're a skeptical person, then it probably is literally unbelievable. 
<laughs> you hear that and you think, man, what, this guy is just making all of that up. And man, I completely, completely get that. But um, did you know that uh, stories like these are not rare? Like to me, I, I used to hear a story like this every once in a while and just think, okay, that guy just made up a story and he's going to write a book. He's going to try to make some, make some money off of that. But uh, did you know that, that back uh, years ago, the Gallup poll did a survey of a, in the U.S. and discovered that, hear this, this is wild, 13 million people claimed to have had a near-death experience. 13 million people in the U.S. alone claim that they uh, were they were clinically dead, and then they claim that they experienced something while they were clinically dead, and then they were resuscitated and then told people about their story. Like, it's just crazy. And here's the thing. It's not just limited to the U.S., the Gallup Poll's research was, but what they found now is that these stories – Again, as a result of advancements in modern medicine, where more and more people are able to be resuscitated, it's just across the globe, different cultures, different languages, different religions, different you know, all nations like are having these stories come uh, surface again and again by the thousands and thousands. Like, how wild is that? Well, uh, as a result of such an incredible amount of people making these claims, Doctors and researchers and professors have begun to investigate this to the point now that over 900 scholarly studies on near-death experiences have been published in some of the most prestigious journals and scholarly publications from around the world. For example, let me just give you one. In one of Europe's most respected medical journals, The Lancet, an article was published in 2008 about a man who experienced cardiac arrest, and he was brought to a uh, Holland hospital, unconscious, not breathing. And so when he arrives, the medical staff uh, placed a tube in the patient's airway in order to ventilate him. And uh, when they did, when they realized that the, the patient had upper dentures. And so a nurse takes his dentures out, and in the hectic rush of everything, just sticks them in the, the drawer of this crash cart, nearby crash cart. Well, they were able to get... The, the, save the man's life, but he was still unconscious for over a week. When he finally comes to, he's in a different part of the hospital, they moved him. When he comes to, uh, eventually one of the uh, nurses that was there whenever he was rushed in, uh, uh, she walks into his room to check on him and he says, hey, you know where my dentures are. <laughs> and she's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he says, no, no, you were there when I got here, which remember, cardiac arrest, he flatlined, heart not beating, not breathing. He's, but he says, no, you were here when I got there and you took my dentures out and you put them in that one cart, the top drawer, the one that had all the bottles on it. And she's like, I don't I have no idea how you would know that. And he went on to explain like, no, I was, I was actually out of my body watching everything happen while this was taking place. And I saw you put my dentures in that crash cart. Well, she grabs a couple of her colleagues. They go look for this thing. And sure enough, they find it exactly where he says they would be. Like how, <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but like that's, that's just wild. I don't know. I don't really know what to do with that. But like, again, this was published in the, the Lancet. This is like, like what? So, okay. Cardiologist, Michael Sabom, he hears about stories like this. And so he begins to ask his own 
patience. Uh, did you leave your body when, you, when your heart stopped beating? As a cardiologist, he was working with a lot of people that had cardiac arrest. And so when that happens, heart, he asked him this question. And then he asked him, if you did leave your body, did you stay in the room? Like, did you see anything? And what he found is that oftentimes his patients would say, yeah, like it was really weird. I wasn't going to tell anybody about it. But I did. I left my body and I was stayed in the room for a minute and I saw what was going on. And so he was started gathering their details. And what was fascinating is that they were able to report details of what was happening in the operating room while they were clinically dead. And they were, they were things that he, the doctor, could verify because he was in the operating room. He was the one operating. So he's like, you shouldn't be able to see this, but I should be able to see it. And we're saying the same things happen. Now, this is so weird. So this has caused him to begin a, a, a five-year project where he began to study near-death experiences. And then after five years, he published his findings in the Journal of the American Medical Association or the JAMA, which is like the most prestigious medical journal in America. And then uh, Dr. Janice Holden, a college professor and researcher, read Dr. Sabon's research in JAMA, and she began to study the people in his study. So she took 93 of the people that he had cited in his research and specifically examined the scientifically verifiable details they claimed to have observed while they were clinically dead. Details like who was in the operating room, what kind of medical instruments were they using, what kind of music was playing in the, in the room, and you know, on and on. And here's what she discovered. To quote her, it's right here, she says, of these out-of-body perceptions, 93% were completely accurate. 6% contained some error, and only 1% were completely erroneous. Now... <laughs> That's wild, isn't it? See, friends, when I say, okay, there's a growing I, a group of people who really think there's this evidence, perhaps this other source of evidence that there's life after life, the reason why people are beginning to believe that is because of the, uh, the credibility of the near-death experiences in the sense that they're able to verify details that clinically dead people describe happening that they should not be able to describe as happening because they're dead when they're happening. And people think, well, this is so crazy. Now, a radiation oncologist named uh, Jeff Long also read Dr. Sabom's uh, uh, JAMA article. And he did think it was crazy. He's like, this, these, these people are making this stuff up or they're really biased in it. He was extremely skeptical. So he set out to start re researching NDEs himself in order to prove them uh, wrong and provide another uh, plausible explanation for these experiences. He has now compiled the largest number of NDEs in the world, thousands upon thousands from all across the globe, including 31 different languages. And as a result of his research, he has become absolutely convinced that consciousness, that life, exists after biological death. Now, certainly, not everyone arrives at the same conclusion 
ab about what NDEs mean, okay? So I'm, I'm not saying there's no room for people to have different views on this, but uh, <laughs> people, Dr. Jeff Long, uh, in all of his study, like he'll say, like, look, I can, I've thought through every plausible explanation for why these things are happening, and there isn't a good rational explanation other than that there really is life after this life. In fact, I've got a video here of him speaking where he addresses some of the common skeptical arguments. I, I want you just to, to listen to this. Some skeptics think it's impossible to study something that isn't a physical phenomenon that you can visibly see and measure. However, I can assure people with those concerns that science broadly embraces subjective phenomena. That's the entire fields, for example, of psychiatry, uh, et cetera, subjective, uh, qualitative, if you will, research. So it's very well established scientifically, very well validated, and very well accepted. A basic scientific principle is that what is real is consistently observed. And the overwhelming consistently see if what's observed in near-death experiences strongly bespeaks their reality. The way I study near-death experiences, again, with the best scientific methodology that, that seems to be published, is through a very, very detailed survey. There's over a hundred questions that I ask. So in my over 4,000 near-death experiences I've studied, I'm not only getting a large number of near-death experiences, we can look at them in a depth that was never possible before. Some skeptics have proposed that near-death experiences are due to hypoxia, which is low blood oxygen levels. Well, that's a reasonable hypothesis because, after all, at the time of a life-threatening event, typically you are going to have reduced oxygen levels in the blood as a result of the trauma or injury that led to that close brush with death. In any other altered type of human consciousness, dreams, hallucinations, uh, psychotic events, you typically have confused sensorium. Experiences may skip around in dreams that are very common. You really have that hypo or decreased lucidity, and that's completely different in near-death experiences, which are hyper or increased lucid, tends to be very logically and ordered. I can't find a single skeptical explanation of near-death experience that any reasonable, well-informed person would accept as explaining near-death experience. One of the strongest lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience is they shouldn't happen at all. At the time of a cardiac arrest, when your heart stops, well, of course, immediately, blood stops flowing to the brain. 10 to 20 seconds after that event, the EEG, electroencephalogram, which is a measure of brain electrical activity, goes absolutely flat. It should be impossible to have a lucid, organized experience at that time, and yet by the hundreds, people have reported near-death experiences immediately following a cardiac arrest. And that is medically inexplicable. All right. Friends, um, if you joined us this morning uh, believing that uh, this life is all that there is and that, you know, there isn't an afterlife, there's nothing after this life, then I highly doubt that I've changed your mind in the last 10 minutes. Okay. But hopefully, uh, I've given you something to think about, you know, maybe stirred a little curiosity. You see, when I first started looking in uh, to all this research regarding near-death experiences, that's what it did for me. It caused me to begin to get curious and want to look into this more. And one of the things 
that I wanted to know, and perhaps that you would want to know, is, okay, if all these people, tons and tons of people are claiming to have had a near-death experience, are their experiences, what they say are happening, do they line up? Are they similar? Are they, are they all just describing super random stuff? Or are there things that are common elements across the board? And uh, so I started looking into that, and it turns out, man, there's tons of studies that have been done comparing people's near-death experiences, again, from all around the world. And what they've discovered is that most people's NDEs have many common elements or similarities. For example, let me just give you a couple of them. One, a few common elements include coming out of their body and then staying in the same physical area but observing their old body from a different vantage point. And then traveling or being transported to a, a realm beyond this one, sometimes a heavenly realm and, and, yes, sometimes even a hellish realm. And then for those that go to a heavenly realm, they commonly speak of meeting relatives and friends that have already passed away, uh, seeing beauty beyond adequate description, and receiving a life review, and then meeting a divine being widely described as a, as a being of love and light. And those are just a few of the common elements. In fact, studies have revealed that there are more than, or right about, 40 common elements that show up again and again in people's near-death experiences from around the, world, around the world, regardless of culture, language, or religion. Now, I find that fascinating as a pastor, what I, because researchers have taken these 40 common descriptions and compared them to what the ancient religious texts of the major world religions say regarding what the afterlife will be like. And, what, and, they've, and they've done this to see how or if the common uh, uh, near-death experience descriptions line up with these religious texts. And what they found is that most of the religious texts had up to five of these things in common. But they also had many of them that weren't in common at all and even contradicted what people said they experienced in their near-death experience. However, with the 40 common descriptions of the near-death experiences were compared to the Bible, which includes the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian uh, scriptures known as the New Testament, what they found, as you can see in this little chart here, is that 38 of the 40 common descriptions were also described in the Bible's depiction of the afterlife. 38 of the 40. And I think that's really intriguing. Oh. Like friends, I, I was asked, like, how, how do you explain that? I think that the explanation is that God, through the Bible, has revealed to us that there is life after this life. And he's beginning to describe what that life is going to be like. See, I think near-death experiences serve as an extra biblical piece of evidence confirming that God, through the Bible, has told us all along that there's life after this life. And I believe that the reason God has revealed what's after this life is because he wants us to understand that he is a loving God and that he wants 
us to spend eternity with him and that he's a loving God that has prepared a life to come that's going to be phenomenal. In fact, okay, Jesus, the day before he would be crucified, talked to his disciples, his closest friends about heaven, and he told them that he was going there to prepare a place for them. In fact, here's what he said in John chapter 14. If you begin in verse 1, he says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Now, that's interesting. That's his way of referring to heaven, his Father's house. We're going to talk more about what that might mean next week when we look at what heaven's going to be like. But he says, in my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, friends, here's something I just want to point out for us. When his friends were troubled, anxious, distressed, Jesus, of all things, points them to uh, heaven to comfort them. He points them to the life to come. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, when you think about Jesus preparing a place for us in the life to come, like I don't know how many home and home uh, improvement, home makeover shows that you're watching right now in this season where we're all stuck inside watching too much TV. But uh, I can guarantee you that Jesus is a much a better uh, designer than even Joanna Gaines, right? And I think that this place Heaven, if he's saying he's going to prepare a place for us, like we can expect, fully expect that it's going to be beyond, better, better than our even imaginations, our best imaginations. See, next week we're going to look at the descriptions of heaven that God gives us, and we're going to compare them to the descriptions of those who claim to have had a near-death experience. And I think what we will discover is going to fill us with hope and joy. For we are going to see that God wants us to know that the life to come is going to be incredible. I'm really, really looking forward to next week's topic. But this morning, I'm going to wrap this up. And I want to wrap it up uh, by asking you to consider doing two things in light of what we've talked about and just investigating this. Is there evidence for an afterlife? Okay. The first thing is this. I want to ask you to decide to explore this topic, to explore this topic. You see, it's super common to think, I'll deal with death and whatever is after death when I get there. But friends, what we believe about what's next has implications on how we live now. It has implications on our perspectives and our hope and our understanding of priorities and our purpose in this life right now. And so I want to encourage you to decide to get curious about what's after this life. And so you can do that by, of course, tuning in to these messages. There's also a great website that I'd point you to called whatsafteratx.org. And you could Google that. And there's all kinds of these videos that I've shown you today, a lot more of those. It's really fascinating. But get curious about this. Decide to get curious, to explore what's after this life. That's the first thing I want to encourage you to do off of this. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to take God seriously. So yeah, I know 
that uh, most of us on this call right here believe that there is a God. Not all of us, but most of us do. And according to the Bible, we will all stand before him one day. And friends, let me tell you, you don't want to meet God face to face as a stranger. You just don't. And the amazing thing is that because of Jesus, we don't have to. That we can begin a relationship with God now, which will not only have an eternal impact on your life, but also an immediate impact. Forgetting to know God now enables you to know his love and his peace and his plan for you now. Friends, God is so good. I really want to encourage you to take time to get to know him now. And of course, <laughs> no surprise here, but we would love to help you do that if you'd like. And so let us know if there's something we can do to help you towards that end. And please continue to, to connect with us so that we can help you. But anyways, those are the two things I want to encourage you to do off of this. How's that sound? Keep exploring this topic and take God seriously. That's my hope and prayer for you. For I believe that there is evidence that this life is not all there is. And I think now's the time to prepare. And I think as we realize that, it will fill us with hope. And let me pray for us, and then we're going to move into a time of remembering communion together, okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would... Uh, Lord, help us know what's true when it comes to this. Lord, that you would give us courage to ask questions and to really explore if there is evidence in your word and even outside of your word that there is life after this life. And God, I pray that you would fill us with hope because as we find out that there is, Lord, that, that we would realize that this life that you've prepared for us it's going to be amazing and that we can experience it because of Jesus, through Jesus, through belief in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would move us towards that, and that we would take you seriously and Lord, that we would continue to explore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.